This week is really, um, we're talking about a choice together this week. This message is titled, Choose Your Adventure. And there's a decision in front of us, and it's a decision that the people that received this letter had to make. They had to decide, am I going to take hold of this and say, Jesus, I'm going to invite you into my life in a very real way, and I'm going to ask you to give me the strength to live my life this way. Will you come and do that in me? They had that choice to make. And so um, I began to think about this this week in preparation for this, and um, I kind of just remembered this like silly thing that I would do as a kid. Did, did anybody ever grow up playing Mad Libs? Anybody remember Mad Libs? Okay, there's some, there's some knowing head nods. Um, if you're a little bit younger, you might think that's just an app on a phone where you just pull it out and type in the words. But I remember being a kid and you could go get these like almost like notebook things that would flip through and have all these different Mad Libs. And of course, the goal was just to say the weirdest, craziest stuff you could say to fill in. And so um, for anybody who doesn't know what Mad Libs are, they're a built-in story with missing nouns and verbs and adjectives. And so you randomly shout out different nouns and verbs and adjectives, you write them in, and then you see how the story plays out. And I mean, I can remember just being a kid, and it's like, you know, usually anything related to like poop, vomit, you know, any sort of bathroom humor was just, you know, of course, the funniest thing ever. Um, and I can just remember as a kid just losing it, laughing about this, this silly game. Um, and as crazy as that sounds, um, our lives are a little bit like a Mad Lib. You know, there's this story that's being told, but there's a lot of missing pieces that are being filled in. And for a lot of us, if, if we make ourselves king of our life, then what we're doing, even at our best and our smartest, we're just kind of filling in the blanks and hoping it's going to turn out okay. That's what we're doing. But Jesus is sitting there with paper and pen, and he knows the story, and he's like, hey, will you trust me with this story that I'm writing in your life? And will you allow me to fill in the gaps? Will you allow me to fill in the letters? And that might seem like a silly example, but, but there's this, this story going on with the Colossians. And in the midst of this letter that's being written to them and the adventure they're being drawn into or invited into, there was another city, another group of believers that this letter was written to. And so as we've been going through this a couple of different times, this town called Laodicea has popped up. And so I want to give you an example of it right here at the end of chapter 4. We'll look at earlier places later in the message. But at the very end of chapter 4, as he's wrapping up this letter, he says in verse 15, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Verse 16, And when this letter, talking about the one they're reading, the letter to the Colossians, When this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. So Paul says there's two churches in two cities and there's two letters. And y'all need to trade these letters back and forth. And so the idea here is that the people living just down the road in Laodicea would have gotten this same letter and the instructions that are in it and would have had the opportunity to apply it in their lives. And the reverse of that, they had received a letter from Paul and it was to be shared back with the church in Colossae and they were to read it and apply it. And so the idea here is probably some of the same themes and same thoughts would be there. Now, an interesting thing has taken place. Um, we don't have a copy of the letter to the Laodiceans. That letter has been lost. I don't know why it's lost. We're not sure where it went. It's not in the biblical record. Um, but what is interesting is something that took place about 30 years later. 
So in AD 64, right around there, is when Paul wrote the letter we've been studying to the Colossians. About 30 years later, the Apostle John, very near the end of his life, is on the island of Patmos. And he's been basically banished there for his Christian faith. And so he's, he's growing old and he's on this island. And we need to realize this, this guy has watched follower of Jesus, disciple of Jesus, all of these different people that were his brothers in the faith, his sisters in the faith, be persecuted. Many of them had been martyred for their faith by this point in time. And so he's 30-something years after Paul's written this letter. He's probably 50 or more years after Christ has gone to heaven. And he's sitting down, and the Holy Spirit shows up one day, and he has this revelation that is the final book in our Scripture and he has this revelation and Jesus shows up and begins to unpack all these unbelievable things. And if you've ever read through the book of Revelation, I mean, it can be confusing. There's crazy pictures and examples and it's hard to unravel. But there's a few things that are super clear. And, and one is this. The first couple of chapters in Revelation, Jesus said to John, I want you to write down seven letters to seven churches. I've got something to say to them. And one of those churches was the church of Laodicea. And so here's this church. They had gotten this message from Paul. They had gotten their own letter from Paul that has disappeared. And now 30 years later, Jesus shows up to John in a vision and says, I want you to write him a letter straight from me. And so Jesus has this letter that he wants to communicate to them. And it's, it's harsh. It's rough. Anybody familiar with the letter to Laodicea? If you've ever heard the phrase, um, um, you, if you're lukewarm and I'll spit you out of my mouth, they're the ones that got that letter. And so we're going to unpack this a little bit. And um, I just want to acknowledge something before we go a little bit further. I got a really good, good friend of mine back home in Franklin named Jimmy Harris. He's coming to preach uh, in about three weeks here while I'm on vacation. And his son, Grayson, who's probably about 14 or 15, I called him up a few weeks ago. And I was like, hey, man. I'm going to be comparing these two towns and you're super, he's like a really bright kid, good researcher. And I'm like, hey buddy, would you do me a favor with your summer? Would you take a couple weeks and do some research for me? And so I just want to give a shout out to Grayson. Um, this message, anything that we get out of it that's of benefit, he gets a huge amount of credit for that because he did a bunch of digging on the town and the history and looked up what some words meant. And so he just did an awesome job helping with that. And so as we get ready to dive into this, he did a lot of the digging on this. So Grayson, if you're listening, great job, buddy. Um, okay, so 30 years after the letter to the Colossians, Jesus writes this. And I just want to read it to you once. Um, we don't even need to put it on the screen yet. We're going to pick it apart in a minute. But I just want you to hear this. Imagine receiving this letter in the mail. All right? Imagine, in fact, your pastor gets this letter from some huge leader that we all look up to. And it's like, oh, we got a letter. Remember 30 years ago, we got that really awesome one from Paul? All right, let's, now we've got one from John. Like, what a hero of the faith. This guy is a stud. And he's written us this letter. And guys, he had a little note in here. And he said, this wasn't just from him. He woke up one night and had a vision from Jesus and wrote down word for word what Jesus wants to say to us. So here is what Jesus has for us this morning. Imagine that. And then this is what gets read. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works, and you are neither cold nor hot. 
Oh, that you were either hot or cold. But because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Or another translation would be vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Man, who's feeling super encouraged at this point in the letter? Ouch. I counsel you to buy gold from me as refined by the fire so that you may be rich. And white garments so you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So it's a, it's a hard letter. There's some hope at the end. There's an invitation at the end. But Jesus is going, hey, you're missing it. You're blowing it. You, you haven't taken hold of the stuff that's been written to you and that's been taught and that you've been encouraged in. You are living a halfway lukewarm kind of life. And it's got to change. And so there is an urgency to this warning. Now, what's interesting to me about this is in these two different letters now that have been written, we've got the letter to the Colossians where life is being offered. Glory is being offered. Wisdom and understanding is being offered. Joy is being offered. There's all these incredible results and promises. And then in the second letter, Jesus is saying, basically, listen, you haven't taken that to heart and you're not getting the results that you think you're getting. And what's interesting in this, this letter to Laodicea is that they were confused. It wasn't that they knew they were blowing it. They didn't know. He says, you think you're rich and things are great and life is at ease. And in reality, you're blind. You don't see the truth and you're naked and, and you're in big trouble. And so Jesus brings this warning. And so what I want to do is just kind of walk through these verses to see if there's anything that we need to take hold of and catch this morning. My desire is that we would hear the warning in advance, right? This is like having the end of the Mad Lib before you've even filled it out. We have that available to us. We've got the letter from the Colossians that's preemptively, here's what Jesus is inviting us into. And then we know what it looks like for a church that hears that message and doesn't receive it and doesn't react to it and what they end up, where they end up being 30 years later, the repercussions of avoiding it. And so let's just jump right into this verse by verse. Verse 14, he opens up to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Jesus actually starts this letter very similar to the way Paul starts his letter to the Colossians. He points out the fact that Jesus is creator and then because Jesus is creator, what he has to say is reliable. He's faithful and true. Does that make sense to you guys? Like if God made us, then, you know, he knows how things work. If he made this world and he made our lives, he knows how things work. And so Jesus is creator. He's king. He's reliable. Then he moves on, verses 15 and 16. So who I am is faithful and reliable. Now let me hold the mirror up. Here's your condition. I know your works. 
You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, what's really interesting about this, I mean, we can kind of grasp the idea of like something lukewarm and that being undesirable. But this was actually very tangible to to the folks in Laodicea. Where their town was situated, they had no natural water source. And so they got water two different ways. One way was from cold water up in the mountains that took a bit of a journey to hike down and be delivered to them. Well, guess what's going to happen if you're traveling a couple of days from the mountains with cold water and then you eventually make it down to a town? Is that water still going to be cold? I mean, I don't think they had Yeti coolers at this point in time, all right? That, 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 it wasn't holding the temperature, so that water makes its way to town, and by the time they get it, it's lukewarm. Not only that, about six miles away, there was a town that had a hot spring, and so where they would get their hot water was they had it piped for like six miles to their town to get hot water. Well, guess what's happening with that water is it's traveling six miles in pipes back thousands of years ago to their town. It's lukewarm. When Jesus says this, he's relating to them something that they dealt with every day. They dealt with the everyday frustration of, you know, man, I love this town and we got a lot going for us, but like the water here just stinks. I mean, it's always lukewarm. We have to reheat it back up. We got to try to do stuff to cool it down. Like this is miserable. And so what Jesus is saying to them is, hey, you know how miserable and annoying it is that your water is lukewarm all the time that you would use to drink or you would use to bathe with? Yeah, that's what you're like for me. That's the same level of frustration that I am feeling towards you. He's saying lukewarm water is kind of useless. It's not hot enough for a bath. It's not cold enough to refresh you. It's just blah. It's just stagnant. And he says, that's, that's the life that y'all are leading. It's just, it's just stagnant. There's no value to it because you haven't heard from me. You haven't received from me what I have to offer you. I have to offer you something that's refreshing. And I have to offer you something that's warm and inviting. See, Jesus isn't just telling them how they're blowing it. He's the contrast. He's got the ice cold water when that's the best thing that's needed at the moment. He's got the hot, refreshing shower when that's what you're looking for. That's what he has to offer. And see, Jesus talked about these things in the book of Colossians. We saw it when we talked about being rooted and grounded in him. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ the Lord, so walk in him. So it's not just a one-time decision. It's a way you live your life. Verse 7. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And we talked about that verse a few weeks back. We, We used the imagery of a tree being rooted and grounded in Christ. And you put those roots down deep into him. Well, what's there? Soil. Water goes there. The sun enriches the soil. That's where you get the nutrients that you need. There's a picture of how this plays out in our lives in the book of Psalms. In the very first chapter in the book of Psalms, David writes and he invites us into a specific way of life. And so I want to read these first three verses. Verse one, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now, I hope you can can see this because he's using specific terminology. Walks, stands, and sits. In other words, he's talking about your everyday life. 
I mean, other than laying down at night, you're either walking, sitting, or standing pretty much all day, all right? So the lifestyle that you live can either be surrounded by wrong influences in the wicked or check this out, verse two. But his delight, this is the blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And then look at the picture. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither and all that he does prospers. This is what Jesus is offering us. This is what Jesus was offering the Colossians, the Laodiceans. He's saying, listen, apart from me, deciding not to be connected to me, deciding not to hear my heart for you and live life with me, apart from that, it's just like stagnant, useless water. It's of no value. But if you'll receive from me, if you'll live life with me, if you'll hear what I have to say about life, I'm the creator, remember? I'm the king, remember? I, I know how this world works. I know what you need in your life. If you will come to me and receive from me, it's gonna be so refreshing. It's gonna be like water to your very soul if you'll come put your roots deep in me. And so that's what he's offering them. And even in this harsh correction, he's still giving a picture of life and health and what's really available. Well, then he goes on, verse 17. He says, listen, I need to let you know, you have this to say about yourself. You say, I'm rich. I've prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. See, Laodicea, they were well off. Outwardly, everything looked good. They were a banking center. Um, they had a medical university there. Um, they were really actually well known for a couple of things, um, ear-related stuff. They even were known for this eye salve that they had come up with that helped your eyes. Um, they were a place of textiles. They did a lot of stuff with wool. They were very well off because they were right in a pretty main thoroughfare for trade. And so this was a thriving town. And he's saying, you're looking outwardly at your life and going, everything's good. And you don't realize that actually the things that matter the most, you're starving. You're poor. You're unclothed. And so he says to them, I want to invite you into something that is so necessary for you. Verse 18, we're going to skip one verse there, Trent. Verse 18. So he offers them three specific things. Check these out. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by the fire so you may be rich. White garments so you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Each of these three things are very specific to the way that town operated. They were a banking center. And he said, hey, you feel like you're rich and you have wealth? Actually, you need the gold that I have to offer. The wealth you're trusting in, it doesn't meet all of your needs. It doesn't really satisfy. You're not really rich. You need what I have to offer. Then secondly, he offers them clothing and specifically he talks about white garments. Now, white garments is a picture that we see over and over again in the scripture. It represents this purity that Jesus gives us that we don't have on our own. In fact, he doesn't ever expect us to come up with that on our own. He clothes us with it himself. But it's an interesting contrast because one of the main things they were known for is their black wool. And so they would actually make garments out of their black wool. And he's saying, you're actually really naked and you need me to clothe you with purity. And so come to me for white garments. Isn't it interesting 
how detailed and intricate Jesus is, seeing everything happening in their lives and speaking right to them. And then thirdly, I mentioned this a minute ago, they were famous for their eye salve. They were famous for this stuff that would help your eyes. And he says, listen, you're blind. You think you've got the cure, you've got the answer, you're blind. But come to me and I'll cure your blindness. I'll help you see the truth of what I have to offer. And so Jesus shows up and he offers these things. And I just, I just wonder how, how often, I, I look at this in my own life, am I willing to do this kind of inventory with the Lord? See, we can stop and reflect on Laodicea and honestly, it's easy for me to look at people in scripture who are being corrected and in contrast feel like I'm doing pretty good. All too often, I, I kind of tend to put myself in that seat. Well, I'm doing pretty good compared to that. I'm pretty sure I'm not that lukewarm. I don't think I'm about to get vomited out of God's mouth or anything. But am I, am I willing to invite him in to come reflect in my life and go, okay, Lord, well, what does my life look like right now? What things do I look at and I value as my riches? And are those the things you really value? God, what areas in my life am I just blind to? I don't even see them. I don't realize they're there and invite you to come highlight those in my life. Lord, are there even some ways where like, I'm exposing myself to real trouble, to real problems down the road. And will you come in and help me, heal me, clothe me? See, just as specific as he is with understanding their place and their condition in the world, he's in that, he, he operates in that same way with us. He sees us. He knows where we're at. He knows the difficult things we're walking through. He knows the areas where we're prospering. He sees our life. And if we would invite him in and say, God, will you come and show me what I'm missing? God, will you come and talk to me? Am I, am I doing all right? Will you come in? Will you be king of my life? What do you have to say about the way that I operate in my work relationships? God, what things do you have to say about my marriage, about my friendships? God, what about these areas in my life that I know if I'm honest, you, you call them sin in scripture and I'm still kind of playing around with those and keeping those nearby. God, what would it look like for you to come and purify that in my life? Being willing to get real with him and say, God, let's, let's do business. And God, will you come show me what I can't see for myself? See, he talks about gold being refined by fire. Jesus actually will come and he, he will do a work in us that we can't do for ourselves. Old Testament, there's some scripture that talks about um, um, inviting him in to come give us clean hands and a pure heart. There's scripture that talks about the fact that we and ourselves, we don't even totally know what all's going on in our heart, but he sees it and he knows. And he comes like a purifier. And what he'll do is he'll come and he'll, he'll heat it up and he'll let those things rise to the surface that are bringing impurities and that are ripping us off. And then he'll come and skim that off the top of our lives and say, here, let me remove that for you. Let me make you rich. Let me make you pure. Let me clothe you. Let me give you eyes to see reality. And so Jesus invites us into that. And so that would be a place that I would just encourage you guys, maybe even this week, like a real practical application that you could take in your life. Sit down and just talk to the Lord and see what he might say. And if you're not confident in being able to hear his voice, or even if you're super confident in it, maybe after you hear some stuff, find a couple people in your life that you trust, that you know, that know you and love you and hear from the Lord and maybe bring them that list. See, the very next thing that Jesus says 
is radical to me. And it goes against all of my hardwiring. Verse 19. It's a very simple statement, and yet it is so hard to grasp. To those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Now, there's so much there, but look at the end of it. Be zealous and repent. That's like the opposite of what I do when I'm being corrected. If I get zealous when I'm being corrected, it's zealous to defend myself. It's zealous to push back against the thing that I'm hearing. I don't want to hear it because it, it goes against my natural instinct to protect myself, to defend myself. You know, as much as we believe like God's my defense, the truth is I don't always live my life out that way. I live my life out like I'm, I'm my own defense. I've got, to, I've got to justify why I made that decision. And even if it was a bad decision, there's a lot of really good reasons why I made that bad decision. And we defend ourselves. But Jesus is inviting us into living life the exact opposite. He said, hey, you know what you can do instead of being zealous to defend yourself against something that might help you? You can be zealous to repent. You can apply that same level of intensity to say, I want to deal with this. And Jesus says, if you can hear my heart of love towards you, that when I'm highlighting something, when I'm bringing something to the surface, I'm reproving and disciplining you because I love you. Has anybody in here ever, uh, we won't talk about your own children, but anybody in here ever worked with kids, like in any other environment, served in a class, been a teacher, something? Yeah. So what I've noticed about myself with other kids, I did a lot of years of youth ministry, and there were certain kids where like, I just would get over it. Like I would just be tired of dealing with it. And okay, you just need to go home to your parents and I'm just, I'm not dealing with the drama anymore. Like you can go, right? There, there were other kids where like they were tough or challenging or whatever, but I'd hang in there with them. And what I began to notice is actually my willingness to work through hard things was a sign of love. I love you enough that I'm gonna hang in here and work on this difficult thing with you. And I'm gonna say hard things that you may not like to hear, but you know what? I'm doing it because I'm crazy about you and I see potential in your life. And, and like, man, you're just awesome. And so I'm willing to risk offending or willing to battle through difficulty for a while in order to encourage you because I love you. Well, whatever little bit of that that I could do in a healthy way, probably plenty of it wasn't, Jesus does it in a fully healthy way. He's crazy about us. He loves us. He hasn't written us off. If he'd written us off, he wouldn't bother correcting us. And see, even with the Laodiceans, they've lived 30 years with this letter from Paul and done the opposite. 30 years. And Jesus doesn't show up to go, that's it. 30 years in, you know, you were like 20 when you got that letter. You're 50 now. You're set in your ways. An old dog can't learn new tricks. I'm done with you. That's not what he says. He says, hey, I'm going to say the hard thing but I'm saying it because I love you and I'm crazy about you. I'm zealous towards you with my love. I'm going after you. I love you. Will you hear this and will you be zealous to repent? Will you be willing to change? Because what I'm offering is good and it's life-giving. And so if, if we could do that in our own lives and invite him in and, okay, God, I know you love me and it's a little bit scary to ask you to show me things that need to change, but I know you love me and I know you want to help me. And so I want to invite you into my life in a real way. 
And then God, I want to be willing to address those things, to be zealous about saying, I want that to be different in my life, God. Would you come and do what only you can do? And would you give me the strength to do my part? That's what he offers. And so he goes on and in verse 20, he just extends this warm invitation. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus has an offer and it's the same offer that Colossians was all about. He's knocking, he's saying, hey, I'm right here outside knocking on the door of your life and anyone who opens that door. He doesn't qualify it. He doesn't say the person that has their stuff together, the person that's always going to get it right. He doesn't say the perfect will sit with me on the throne. He just says him who conquers. You don't conquer something unless you've battled something. At the end of a good day where everything's easy, I don't say, wow, I conquered that day. It's when I've faced difficulty, when I've overcome obstacles and challenges where it's like, man, we had to fight through that, but like we made it, made it to the other side. Jesus says, hey, you're going to face some difficulty in life, but if you will open the door and invite me into your life, I will show up. And he says, I'll eat with you. He's just saying, listen, I'm going to do day-to-day life with you. And he points to food. We've talked about that a few weeks ago, about how food is a picture of what we need to give us life and energy and strength. Jesus is saying, I'll come in and I'll give you the strength that you need. And together, we're going to conquer. I already came and conquered and I'm going to help you conquer in your life. And I'm going to invite you to experience everything I get to experience. I'm here with the Father now and there's going to be a place there for you too. That's the offer he extends. It mirrors kind of one of the core passages that we've been studying in this series. And so I want to read this over us kind of one last time and we're going to start to pull all this together this morning. But the other time that he mentions Laodicea in the letter to the Colossians is sandwiched in between the scripture that talks about Christ in us being the hope of glory and then a few verses down that if we're rooted and grounded in him, we'll mature and have life. And so let me read this over us. Here we go. Colossians 1 verse 27 is where we're going to start. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Inviting him in is the, gives the glory and the riches that we're looking for. And so him we proclaim, we warn everyone and teach everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that powerfully works within me. Chapter 2, verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. That would be us. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is saying that everything that pertains to your life, everything that would add value, seasons in your life where you need wisdom to make a decision, simple day-to-day stuff and hard, difficult things you'll face and everything in between, I have what you need. Will you invite me in? Will you let me be king in your life? 
if you will, the results are going to be glorious. They're going to be glorious. It's going to be rich. It's going to be rewarding. And he extends that offer to the Colossians. And he specifically mentions the Laodiceans here. And then he says, and to everyone else, I'm not going to see face to face. Unless Paul has shown up in your dreams at some point in your life, I'm guessing you've not seen him face to face yet. He's writing to us. Will we take this in? And so I want to finish this morning by saying the same thing that Jesus says at the very end of that letter to the Laodiceans in Revelation 3, verse 22. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Will we listen to the two letters? Will we hear the message of the two letters? And will we receive the life that Jesus has to offer? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your great love for us. Lord, I thank you for um, how intimate and personal and direct you are. God, even in a, in a hard letter where you're correcting this church at Laodicea, God, we just see your fingerprints of care in their lives. We see how aware you are of what they're facing, what they deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, their struggles, their shortcomings. God, even blind spots, things they don't recognize that they're struggling with, you see them. And Lord, I thank you that you love enough to correct and to invite us back to you, invite us back to health. And so, Lord, I, I pray for two specific things for each of us here. Lord, in a very broad and general way, God, I pray that we would say yes to the message of this letter to the Colossians and that we would heed the warning in this letter to the Laodiceans. God, that we would hear these two letters and God, we would say yes and make you king in our lives. Lord, I pray in a very specific, tangible, day-to-day -day way, we would make you king. And then, God, I pray in a very specific way. My second prayer for us this morning is, Lord, if there's anything that we need to hear from you right now, God, if there's, if there's any place in our lives where we need to invite you to come in and bring some correction, Lord, I pray that we would be willing to hear what you would have to say to us. And, God, that we would have an attitude to zealously repent God, that the same way that we would typically resist and fight and defend, God, with that same level of intensity, that we would fight to hear from you and to repent and return to you. God, we love you. We trust you. God, we give you our life. Guys, I just even want to encourage you right now as I'm, as I'm about to say amen. Just in your own heart, you can pray a really simple five-second, ten-second prayer just saying yes to him. Jesus, you're my king. I want to affirm that one more time. If you've, if you've made that decision many times in your life, awesome. Let's affirm it one more time. And so Jesus, personally this morning, I'm saying yes to you. Be king in my life. Thank you that you're the creator. Thank you that you offer every good thing I need to walk through this life with you. God, I want to invite you in to eat with me. Lord, I want to be rooted and grounded in you. Lord, I want to experience more and more in my life the glory that comes from having you live in me. Jesus, I want that. And I say yes to it this morning. And I invite you in. Come, Lord Jesus. It's in your powerful, wonderful name that we pray this morning. Amen.